You know, sometimes in difficult circumstances, trials, tribulations, we might think, God is punishing me. I don't know if you've ever been to the DMV. (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, we go through unpleasant things. And really, it's, it's not in those milder difficulties like the DMV or traffic. But it's when we really go through a difficult time, or maybe multiple difficult times within a few weeks or months or even years. When we're really sick and we can't get better, the doctors don't know what's going on, or, or when that bill is due and we're out of funds and we don't know genuinely how that need is going to be met. When our marriage is struggling, and we have great hopes for renewal and restoration, but we're not seeing it. When our kids have us at wit's end. When we're being pummeled by these trials and difficulties, and especially as the church faces trials and difficulties, persecution, marginalization by the culture, we might wonder in an unfiltered moment, God, are you punishing me? What have I done to deserve this? Now, that line of thinking, God, are you punishing me, right? It's based on false theology. It's based on a view of reality where we, we impose upon the universe this idea of a tit-for-tat relationship with God, that when we do good things, we get good things, and when we fail and do bad things, then we get bad circumstances or God's judgment specifically. And again, sometimes it feels that way. But let's just be really clear this morning. There's a huge difference between the general circumstances of suffering that we face because we live in a broken world and the judgment of Almighty God for sin. Those are two different things. When we're talking about God judging sin, we're talking about that judgment that's motivated by God's righteousness. It's motivated by his hatred of sin. It is, in the Bible, the term is the wrath. It's his wrath. It's his wrath poured out against sinners. And this morning, we need to ask this question as we come to Revelation 7. What is my current relationship to the wrath of God? And what will be my future relationship to the wrath of God? Or to use the question that leads into chapter 7, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand on the great day of the Lord's wrath? You know, as you think about that, there's, there's a moment here in this passage for warning, and there's a moment for encouragement. And so I hope as we unpack these verses, Revelation 7, 1 through 8, that you'll heed the warning that is here for us. But even more so than the warning, there's this encouragement for those of us who have trusted in Christ. So let's unpack these verses, and let's see what's going to be going on here um, in, in the course of the, the day of judgment. Now, again, that sixth seal, remember John's giving had been given this vision. He's in a visionary journey. He's gone to the throne room of heaven. We have the the scroll that was in the Father's hand, that the Lamb, that the Son has taken from the Father, and now the Son is breaking, the Lamb slaughtered, is breaking the seals, which is about to bring about God's perfect will for the universe. Basically, we're looking to the conclusion here. All wrongs made right, everything taken care of. And so the Lamb is worthy to do that because he was slain. 
And because by his blood he has purchased people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so as these seals are broken, we see some of them describe general circumstances of difficulty and suffering, but then some of them describe the martyrdom of the saints, and then even now in the sixth seal, this day of judgment that is yet to come. It's a scary thought. And that question from chapter 6 rings out, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand on that day? And then in chapter 7, we basically get the answer. Watch verse 1 here of Revelation chapter 7. There John writes, After this, after that sixth seal, right, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. So here's the picture. John, in this vision, he sees, now he sees angels at the four corners of the earth. And again, it's a vision. So it represents what? God's servants who are about to pour out his wrath on the day of judgment. But they are holding back those winds. And there's a calm and a quiet. We're going to see this again as we get the other uh, parts of the, the vision and revelation in, in days to come. But there's a calm and a quiet there. There's just like this pause, this like tension, right? Whoa, what's going on? Why are they waiting? They've got the winds there. God's ready to judge. Why are they waiting? And so John sees this, and in in verse 2, he says, Then I saw another angel rising up from the east, this fifth angel, who had the seal of the living God. You know, a seal, just like the seal would be used to mark the scroll to say who had sealed its contents. Here it's the same idea. This is a seal to mark ownership to mark the a a validation or certification of who it belongs to so an angel comes with the seal verse two what does he do he cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our god on their foreheads Now, the earth and the sea, they basically stand for all of creation. So again, this is the day of judgment being pictured. God's going to pour out his wrath on all creation. The angels are there holding back the winds. They're about to let him go. But before they let him go, a fifth angel comes in and he says, Hold on! Don't release the judgment just yet. And this angel has a seal. And the orders are, don't harm the earth and the sea, right, or the trees. Don't pour out the judgment from the sixth seal until what? Until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now this is a visionary picture of what? Of God identifying those who belong to him before the day of judgment. Um, I don't know if you saw Toy Story. Remember the old, you know, uh, Pixar cartoon Toy Story? You remember what, um, what was written on Woody's boot? You remember what was written on Woody's boot? Andy. Andy. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Uh, I don't think you're the demographic for that movie. But anyway, I don't, it's okay. It, it works. Yeah, you know, Andy had written his name on Woody's boot, indicating ownership, right? That's the, that is exactly the, what's going on here with the seals. And what's happening? This angel says, don't pour out the judgment yet. We've got to go around. And we've got to mark everybody who belongs to the lamb. The mark is on the forehead indicating it's, it's just like here. That's, it's clear, right, that these belong to the lamb. We're going to see another mark on the forehead in the future here in Revelation. That's also a very public statement of who your allegiance is to. Well, he says, hold on, don't arm the earth or the sea until we seal who? The servants of our God. He says, hold off on the judgment for just a minute. I need to make sure and mark who are mine, those who belong to me. What are we learning from this vision? You need to know this morning 
that believers belong to God. Believers belong to God and are protected from his wrath. Where is this going? Why are they sealed? They're sealed because those who belong to God are shielded from the wrath of God. This is really important, okay? In the six seals, the general circumstances of sin breaking the universe, we all experience that. Uh, The fifth seal, the martyrdom of the saints, the church will experience that. Some believers will give their lives for their faith. But the sixth seal, the judgment of God, his wrath being poured out for sin, no believer will experience this judgment. Why? Because God marks us as belonging to him and we are protected by the blood of the Lamb. If you are a follower of Jesus, you, are, you, are belo- you belong to the Lord and you are protected from his wrath. This is presented in this vision and it's given to John in the church of his day. Why? Because it might not have seemed to them like that was the case. Again, we're talking about Asia Minor, first century, uh, varying levels of persecution in these towns where these seven churches were. But the fact was that many of them had experienced less than stellar results from becoming believers in Jesus. Their families may have uh, ostracized them. Maybe they had lost jobs. Some of them had lost jobs. Some of them had been brought up on charges in the town and, and briefly imprisoned. And we know that at least a few had given their lives and been martyred. And if you're in the church and someone who you worship with this week is killed for their faith next week, you might wonder, God, are you punishing us? God, why are we enduring this? What's going on? Is this your wrath? And the vision of Revelation 7 is a clear answer where God says, no, no, don't worry. You belong to me and you're protected from this day. Now, in the meantime, yes, you may have to endure difficult trials and difficulties. But let's be very clear. Those difficulties are not the wrath of God poured out against sinners. Believers belong to God and are protected from his wrath. You might wonder sometimes, do I belong? Right? Do I fit in? And the answer is yes. Why? Because God has claimed you. Because you have the seal. But yes, we do experience suffering. And so I would just encourage you this morning to really just, maybe just lay hold of these two categories for suffering and difficulty that we face in our lives. The first is the general category of suffering because of sin. What are we to think about that? Well, the message of Revelation is clear that yes, there will be some temporary suffering and it might even include martyrdom, but that's okay for believers. Even if we go to our death, we don't lose, we win because of the Lamb. And so general suffering because of sin, God ordains that for our good and for his glory. When we talk about general suffering, God ordains it for our good and for his glory. You might think of verses like Romans 8, 28, well known and rightly so. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. There, the Apostle Paul offers us this encouragement that if you belong to the Lord, all things must work for your good because God is sovereign and he he ordains those things for your good. God's loving and formative discipline is a good thing. And so we find James 1, 2, where James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face all different kinds of trials. And we're thinking that is very hard to do. It takes a, a big view of God. 
to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. I don't know which trials are hard for you. I know which ones are hard for me. And the fact is, there are going to be days when we, go, when we think, what is going on? The first category of suffering, though, general suffering because we live in a broken universe, but God is sovereign over that suffering and he uses it for our good. The second category of suffering, though, is the outpouring of the wrath of God. And you need to know, just to be really clear, that this is never experienced by Christians. Never. It actually culminates in and is focused on God's ultimate day of judgment. But like in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we read about Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are sealed. You will not experience the wrath to come. Those winds are held back for you, okay? So you can be marked, so you can be protected. Or in Romans 5, verse 10, where Paul makes this argument that if while we were enemies, Christ died for us and God's love was poured out for us, then how much more will he see us through to the end and protect us from his wrath? Jesus did the hardest thing by dying on the cross for us and rising from the dead. And so to deliver us from his wrath on the day of judgment, well, that's the lesser thing. And he will most certainly do that because of his love for us. Again, believers belong to God and are protected from his wrath. So who who is it exactly? Well, watch verse 4. There John writes, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. Okay, now let's pause right here, okay? First of all, remember, John's in the vision. He's in the throne room of heaven. Uh, He's seeing all the the seals being broken. Now we've got the paws, and they're holding back the wind. Okay, we're going to seal everybody. And then he heard, I don't know, like angelic secretaries talking about it i'm not we're not sure but he hears some of the discussion and how many how many are there going to be sealed One hundred forty-four thousand from every tribe of the israelites okay now there are, there have been two main ways to understand this one hundred forty-four thousand. the first way is to take this as literally referring to one hundred forty-four thousand people and so you'll, you'll know that the, the false religion, Jehovah's Witness, they actually have a belief that there's only 144,000 that in the end get to the highest level of heaven and get enough points for that or whatever, however their system works. So um, that's not what's being said. Um, other people think that this is a reference perhaps to Jews who have who are become believers, who are living during the time of the final judgment. And uh, what we're going to see, though, is that in a minute, um, he's actually going to, in verse 9, he's going to identify and look and see that actually the 144,000 is an innumerable multitude. So he heard the number, and then he looks, and he sees an innumerable multitude. He can't count them. And so we also know that God hasn't only sealed Jewish believers from his wrath. He's protected every believer from his wrath. So why 144,000? I'm glad you asked, okay? So here's the deal. I'm going to break it down for you. In Revelation... It's a known fact in chapter 21 that the number 12 has two levels of significance. Remember, this is a vision, right? Two levels of significance. In Revelation 21, uh, the New Jerusalem has 12 gates that are named for the 12 tribes of Israel. And it has 12 foundations which are named for the 12 apostles. You get to 144,000, it's 12 times 12 times 1,000. It's not brain surgery. It represents symbolically what? All believers from the time of the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament. All believers from all time. So if we're asking the question, who is protected from the wrath of God? Who is able to stand on that day? The answer is every person whom God has redeemed from the creation of the world until the very end. 
It's the complete set. That's what the number pictures. The, the tribe, well, they're from every tribe of Israel, Pastor Ryan. Yes. We learn in the New Testament that Jewish and Gentile believers together are the people of God. That we all, in Romans chapter 4, that we all, Gentiles and Jews alike, who put their faith in Jesus, we are all sons and daughters of Abraham now who are called into the family. And so the true Israel is indeed Jewish and Gentile believers. And so, yes, they're from the, the tr every tribe, so to speak, of, of the Israelites, meaning every corner of the earth has given up its, its believers, those saints, and we are all protected. So the idea here in verse 4 is that we are a distinct people. We are a distinct people. It's like in the Exodus. I don't know if you remember in the Exodus when, when God was rescuing the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. I don't know if you remember. This is, this is during the plague of the flies, okay, just if you're keeping track of it. But in Exodus 8, the Lord says this through Aaron to Pharaoh. He says, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. And when God poured out that judgment of the flies, the flies only, only bothered the Egyptians. They did not bother the Israelites. Why? Because God's people were distinct, and they were protected from his wrath. Brothers and sisters, we are a distinct people. The, the number 144,000 also kind of brings to mind the language in the book of Numbers where we have the census of the people of Israel, almost like a military census. Not almost like, like a military census. So the 144,000 here may be pictured as the army ready to serve. And we'll see later in Revelation that's exactly who this is. Now this number, right, this number, it's a symbolic number in that it shows that God is at work both in the Old and New Testament eras rescuing sinners. There's comfort there for us. You need to know that if you do not want to experience the wrath of God, that, that you don't have to. That by trusting in Christ, you are protected from his wrath. It's also a complete number. Right? It's a complete set. That's the idea, which tells us that God will not fail in his rescuing work. Nobody can stop the advancement of the church. No one can derail the glory of God. No one can stop the, the advancement of the gospel where new sinners become believers in Jesus and are protected from his wrath. No one can stop that work. Not because the church is amazing or capable, but because it's God's work, and so he will complete it. But it is also a military number, meaning his people, you and me, we are his army. Called not to conquer by violence, but to serve in his name while we walk this earth. So, when we're suffering, and I don't know if you're suffering this morning, but I know you live long enough, you will. When you're suffering, we don't say, God is judging me. And we don't say, God has abandoned me. We don't say, evil has won, or Satan is too strong. We don't say, my sin is too great. When we suffer, we say, I am his, and I am sealed. And no one can take that away from me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I would encourage you to ask this question. Will you be able to stand on the great day of the wrath of the Lamb? Because when push comes to shove and it's time to answer for our sin... There are only going to be two places to be. One is going to be hiding in a cave, begging that cave to collapse on you, to hide you. 
and the other will be safe under the wings of God's grace. And if you're hearing this message today, it means that you're drawing breath and therefore you have an opportunity to respond to God's, God's message of grace and forgiveness. You have the opportunity to repent of your sin and to trust in the Lamb. How are we protected? We're protected because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. It's because of his blood that God's wrath has been satisfied. And so we bank on him, not on ourselves. And I just want to encourage you, again, if you're not a believer, that maybe today's the day that you're transformed. And you say, yes, I'm ready to trust in the Lamb and to receive his protection. We would love to talk more with you about that if you have questions. That's why we're here. But even as we think about being followers of Jesus, as we think about being sealed and belonging and being protected, we also have some marching orders. So look at the rest of this section here from verses 5 down to 8. Watch uh, in verse 5. Again, he's describing what he saw with 144,000, what he heard. Verse 5, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I think the application there is fairly obvious, so let's just call it a day at that. What do you think? Now, what's going on here? Why, why all the tribes? Well, here's the deal. Obviously, again, it's, it's the complete set, the picture of the people of God, so he names all the tribes. But he doesn't just name the tribes. They're named in a weird order. And I know you caught it, but just in case some of us didn't, let's go through it. Okay, and I just want to highlight a few of the things because there's some important observations here. The first, first thing we want to observe is that in verse 5, the tribe of Judah is first. Judah is never listed first in the tribe lists because Judah wasn't the firstborn. Reuben was the firstborn. I know you know that. I'm just reminding you. So why is Judah first? Well, because we've already heard in chapter 4 or chapter 5, who is worthy to take the scroll? Who's worthy? Well, it's, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one who's worthy. That, that descendant of Abraham through the line of Judah, he's the one who's worthy to rescue, to redeem, and to bring about the will of God on the earth. And so Judah is moved to the first position here because of the prominence of Jesus the Messiah, because he's from the tribe of Judah. Just, can I just encourage you this morning? Could, this, is, this is what we should do in our lives, to upgrade Jesus in his prominence in our lives. Because I'll tell you this, on a daily basis, whether it was 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor or whether it's today in New Jersey, we, we face this difficulty, this temptation to downgrade Jesus and to upgrade our concern for money or our concern for pleasure or our concern for career or our concern for family or whatever it is that's burdening us, right? And we put all these other things and we just downgrade Jesus and we put him down the list. And here with Judah getting put at the top of the list, it's, I think it's a way of saying, listen, Everything hinges on Jesus being first. And did you know that the same is true of your life? If you are sealed, if you belong, and you're protected from the wrath of God, that means Jesus must be first for you. And what happens is we don't actually suffer in all those other categories when we put Jesus first. 
actually we finally get them right. Because when you put Jesus first, then you'll start thinking about your finances right. And when you put Jesus first, that's when you'll start thinking about your family right. And when you put Jesus first, that's when you'll start thinking about your career right. And so on and so forth. And yes, it might be difficult. And putting Jesus first sometimes means making costly decisions. We're in tax season. I just want to remind you that Jesus says, pay your taxes. He does. And for you to lie on your taxes is a sin against God, and you're directly disobeying the words of Jesus. So yes, putting Jesus first means you're going to pay more on your taxes, right? Yeah, sometimes it means that we have to go the long way around. We have to do the hard work of investing in relationships and pursuing restoration, yes. But you know what? It's never a loss to put Jesus first. Let's keep the line of the tribe of Judah where he belongs. The top of the list. Well, that's Judah. I also think you noticed that we have Manasseh referenced in verse 6, but we don't have Ephraim anywhere else. And just... On the off chance you're not up on your tribal, you know, trivia, okay? Ephraim and Manasseh were the twin sons of Joseph. You remember? And uh, they both actually, you know, they're, they're big tribes came from them. It's a long story. But Ephraim was such a big tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel, as the kingdom divided later, Ephraim was such a big tribe that sometimes in the Old Testament, the, the tribal name Ephraim is substituted for the northern kingdom of Israel. Sometimes they just called it Ephraim because it was that big. There were 10 other tribes in the northern kingdom, but Ephraim was so big that they just, sometimes they just called it Ephraim. The thing about Ephraim is that he, he's not listed in this tribal list. In verse 8, the name Joseph is used. Now, when we hear Joseph, we think of good things. We think of God providing for his people while they were in, in slavery in Egypt. We think of, yes, God's even, his miraculous work through Joseph enduring difficult circumstances, and yet God showing his faithfulness. And although he suffered greatly and unfairly in many ways, he was actually provided for by God, and God used him to provide for the nation. Those are good memories there from Genesis 37 all the way on to 50. I mean, that's a, that's a great and powerful story of God's grace being at work. The story of Ephraim, I don't get warm fuzzies from that one. Because the, the story of the northern kingdom is the story of a collapse of a people group into absolute idolatry where they followed the pagan thinking of their neighbors. The story of Ephraim is a sad story. It's a story of God's judgment against people who refuse to worship him. And so I think the substitution of Joseph for Ephraim here is intentional. To say, listen, just be warned, just be warned that you are in a worship war right now. The question is, what are you going to worship? And don't be like Ephraim. Don't worship the gods of the land. On that same line of thinking, I know you also notice that the tribe of Dan is not referenced in this list. Levi is referenced, and he's not usually in the lists. Remember, Levi was the tribe from the, the priests came from. You know what the priest's job was? It was to serve God all the time. Levi's, he, they get included in this list. But Dan doesn't get included. What, why doesn't the tribe of Dan get included? Because Dan was the worst. Can I get an amen? Dan was the worst. Let me tell you what Dan did. Dan was given the tribal, I should have had a map, I forgive, forgive me, all right? Dan was given a tribal territory near the coastline that the Philistines lived in. 
And Dan was called to trust God during the conquest and to go and to go into battle against those Philistines and to, and to trust the Lord and the Lord would provide victory. And Dan was a fraidy cat. The tribe of Dan was too scared. They said, we can't beat the Philistines. And the tribe of Dan said, we're not going in there. The land that God had given them. He gave everybody zip codes in the tribes. He said, here's your zip code. And they're like, no way. We're not doing it. We don't trust you, Lord. They're too big. They're too scary. So the tribe of Dan like relocated all the way across the country to the northern part of Israel. But when they did, and this is in the end of the book of Judges, when they did, what did they do? They found this guy who was a renegade bad news priest who was leading a, a family in worship of a Canaanite god, okay, in, in that household. And they stole that guy from the household that he was serving. And they said, bring the Canaanite gods with you. So the tribe of Dan, not only did they reject the Lord and relocate north, they took this bad priest and false gods that were the neighbor's gods, and they stole those gods and took them up and set up a false worship site in the northern part of Israel. The story of Dan is a story of, of failure to remain distinct from the culture around them. The story of Dan is a story of people who just went along with the flow, and their neighbors were into it, so they were into it. It's a story of people who wouldn't trust the Lord, even in difficult and scary times. That's why Dan isn't included in this list. And that's why Levi is. Because as we look at this list, we see clearly what God calls us to as his people. He calls us to serve him all the time. We are a kingdom of priests. Are you hearing that language there in 1 Peter, right? It's taken from the book of Exodus. We are a kingdom of priests. We were, we were delivered by God to serve him on a daily basis. We were not called, we are not sealed to go along with the flow of the culture and worship whatever everybody else is worshiping. Talking money and popularity and career achievement and whatever else. All those things that we're tempted to worship. And the reality is Dan failed. They gave into that worship. Ephraim failed and gave into that worship. But what does God call his people to? He calls us to remain distinct because we belong to him. Maybe you need to hear those marching orders this morning. I think there's an opportunity for us today to soberly consider... Am I failing to be distinct from the world around me? Am I just too much like everybody else? Meaning, am I chasing money just like they do and trying to find my meaning in that? Am I solving my problems with alcohol and just getting drunk just like everybody else does? Am I finding my identity in my weight or in how much I can bench my appearance? Am I, am I chasing satisfaction in the clothing that I wear, the fashion trends that I'm staying up on? Do I think that I've succeeded only when I've gotten a good grade on a test or in a class or when I've gotten to the next level in my career, I've gotten that promotion? These are the gods of our land. And we are called, as God's army, into action which means we need to recognize that we are right now in the midst of spiritual warfare. You might be thinking, you know what? That's right. I have been worshiping the gods of the land. What do I do? Well, the answer is found once again in the blood of the lamb. Where we don't have to work off that debt. We simply just call it sin and turn our backs to it. 
We say, yes, it's wrong, and I, and I find my refuge in the cross of Jesus Christ, who died for my worship of money, who died for my worship of pleasure, who died for my worship of achievement or appearance or whatever else. Again, who will stand on that day? It's those who are sealed, those who have been protected by the blood of the Lamb. So we have a temptation to adopt the false gods of our time. And we have to ask the question, am I okay being distinct? As we're going to see in this vision, that's not a private decision that has only private consequences. It ends up being a public decision. That's why the ceiling's on the forehead. Um, it's a public decision that's going to have public ramifications. And you might just ask the question, you know, um, we live in a funny place because, like, Americans, we're good with anybody being into anything except for seriously being into Jesus. So, like, you can go, you can go, you want to make friends real quick, okay? Go on social media and declare, right, your seriousness about being a follower of Jesus. And watch those comments come flying in, right? I mean, it's, I'm telling you, we just, it's an, we live in an awkward place as a culture right now. All the more the challenge for us to remain distinct. If Americans are good with me being in, into anything except for seriously being into Jesus, what am I going to choose? Do I just want to be accepted as an average American? Or am I ready to be sealed as a follower of the Lamb? I wonder if we will be bold like Levi and Joseph. Will we serve the Lord rather than ourselves? Will we fight this battle of idolatry? Now, don't hear me wrong, right? We always have to say this. This is really important. The answer to who will stand on the day of God's wrath is not those who clean themselves up. It's not those who said no enough to their false gods. The answer is those who are sealed. Now, those who are sealed should have a different life. We should be living distinctly. But remember, the message of the gospel is not try hard or clean up your language, get yourself to church, and then God will forgive you. The message of the gospel is the Lamb is worthy. He is, by his blood, he died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He has purchased us for God. And because we put our faith in him, now we live differently, right? It's gospel first and then transformed life that follows out of that. So we are called into action as the transformed army of the Lamb. It's really important that we understand that our acceptance and our confidence going into that great day of judgment is not based on our performance. My friend John Calvin said it this way. He said, Just as they whose doorposts were marked in Egypt escaped safely, so shall we. He's talking about the Exodus. Again, remember the Exodus? Where God was sending that final judgment, an outpouring of his wrath against unbelievers in Egypt. And he was going to take the firstborn. And remember he told the community of Israel, he said, take a sacrificial lamb for yourself and sacrifice it for the family and put the blood of that lamb on the, the doorposts and the mantle there, put it, put it across the door, and, and that blood will protect you from the judgment of God. And the angel who's going to execute God's wrath at that moment would, instead of pouring out God's wrath on that house, he would pass over. So they called it the Passover. The angel would pass over the house and not pour out his wrath on that house. Why? Not because that house was more spiritual than the house next door. Not because they had better attendance at church. Not because they had memorized more verses or they, they had said less cuss words in their life or they had cleaned up their Netflix watching habits or whatever it was. They were protected. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb that was shed for them. 
And Calvin's point is exactly right. Just like those Israelites were protected from the, by the blood of the Lamb on that night, so every person sealed with this seal, every person who has put their faith in Jesus is protected. Why? Not because of what you have done. You are protected on the day of the, the wrath of the Lamb by his very blood. And so that's why we can approach that day with absolute confidence. Listen, if it depended on, on our performance, what confidence could we have going to that day? We would say, just like everybody else, who can stand? However, we belong to the Lamb. And so we belong and we are protected. So we don't have to fear. Now, in the meantime, we recognize, okay, I'm protected. That means I can walk by faith no matter what God has ordained for me. I, I would love to be able to tell you this morning that God has ordained for you only happy circumstances and easy days. But brothers and sisters, that is not the case. We will face trials and difficulties. One reason why is because it's good for us. The main reason why is because God will be glorified as he works in us, even in the midst of challenging times. So yes, churches will have people who are followers of Jesus who are killed for their faith. And yes, in some places in the world this very day, Christians are imprisoned because of their faith. But you and I will face different kinds of difficult circumstances. Maybe because of your faith, things will get weird with your family. Maybe because of your faith, you'll get passed over for that promotion at work. Maybe because of your faith, you won't get graded as highly in that class at university. But you need to know that whatever difficulty you face, your confidence moving forward by faith today is not based on your performance as a saint. It's based on the sealing of the Lamb, that you belong to Him. We belong and we are protected from the wrath of God. Why? Because of the Lamb who died for our sins. Let's move forward with confidence in Him. Would you pray with me? We'll ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for these eight verses here in Revelation 7 where we see the answer to this question, who is able to stand on the day of your judgment? Lord, I pray for those this morning who do need to be warned. They need to be warned that there will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment, Lord, where, where you call everyone to account. And Lord, there are only two groups. There are those who answer for themselves and those who are protected by the Lamb. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the restraint of your judgment. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the belonging that we have to you with the, the sealing of the saints. But Lord, we also confess that though we're protected from your wrath, that we still sometimes struggle as we experience trials and difficulties. So Lord, we ask that you would work in us. Help us to believe what we read. Help us to be convinced that yes, we belong to you and we are protected. And therefore, we are enabled to walk by faith, even in difficult times. Lord, help us to see the line of the tribe of Judah as central to our lives. Help us to learn the lesson of Dan and Ephraim and say no to idolatry. Lord, help us to see the lesson of, of Levi and Joseph and to trust you in the midst of difficult times and to serve you at all times because we are a kingdom of priests. And Lord, we pray that as we're changed right now and as we're transformed, that you would be glorified as we live distinctly from the world around us. Give us courage, give us perseverance, but most of all, Lord, give us faith. Help us to trust you. We ask these things, not because we are worthy, 
but Lord Jesus, because you are. And so we pray that you would do your work in us for your glory. Amen.